You're listening to a climate edition of Business Extra, a podcast by The National in Abu Dhabi. I'm your host, Cody Combs, speaking to you from the COP28 Summit in Dubai. Is it possible to live in a city in the Middle East that is zero carbon and zero waste? That's a promise that was made around 15 years ago in Abu Dhabi. Today, Mastar City is a reality. It promises to change the way people live and work, and it has set a vision of how sustainable urban developments will look like and how the future can become greener. In this episode, we'll learn more about Mastar City and how it has become a global model for urban development and a catalyst for change on the global stage. We'll delve into the projects that have reshaped the urban landscape and discuss the vital role of sustainable growth in the broader context of COP28. But before we start, if you want to get the latest episodes as soon as they come out for Business Extra, then please follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Today, from the heart of COP28's Green Zone, I'm joined by Steve Severance, Director of Growth at Mastar City. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Cody, thanks for having me here. It's my pleasure. If someone is listening to us and for some reason doesn't know what Mastar City is, what would you tell them? I would say for all those who've been living under a rock for the past 17 years, and I know there's, I'm just kidding. I'm so excited to tell the story about Master City. Uh, I mean, here at, at COP, uh, I think a lot of people are taking the time to engage with sustainability, particularly people who live here. And, and, and I think people have been here a long time. I've seen a cultural shift in how we think about sustainability here, and that it's becoming much more and more on the minds of people in this region too, uh, that especially, I think a lot of it's driven by their children. Uh, I've had more and more people tell me, why did I come to Massachusetts City? Well, my, my kids are like, dad, mom, what are you doing for the environment? And that is what Massachusetts City is all about. That when we started the Massachusetts Initiative 17 years ago and broke ground on Massachusetts City 15 years ago, we said, how do you create a more sustainable way of developing in this environment? So how do you take energy consumption out of the buildings, but also, how do you use your master planning and your architecture to adapt to the climate that we're in? So uh, we shifted the whole city to catch prevailing winds. We wanted to cool down the outside as much as possible. So we also narrow streets, building that shade, buildings that shade each other, wind tunnels. So you create a much uh, an outdoor atmosphere that feels almost 10 degrees cooler on hot days uh, at Master City than it would in other places in Abu Dhabi or Dubai, or as people who have been here at Coppet Expo and then have come out to Master City and said, wow, it feels so much cooler here. How did that happen? And it was absolutely by design. And I would say the second role that Master City plays, especially for, for Abu Dhabi, is the hub of R&D and innovation. Uh, and this has been a real sea change. And, and I've been in Master City for 14 years. Has been There's always been an ambition for Abu Dhabi to do more R&D, innovation, to have more of the technology developed here. But it's often been in silos. If we, Master City was working alone, some of the universities were working on it, Department of Economic Development working on it. But in the past few years, we've really come together. And so we want to create that ecosystem. So... We have three universities working on, or research institutions working on site, the Muhammad Bid's University for Artificial Intelligence, uh, uh, Advanced Research Technology Council with, T with TII, the Technology Innovation Institute, and Khalifa University, uh, all, all working on advanced science there. I mean, I think one of the things that's fascinating, you're, we're, we're here with the National, you're a journalist. Uh, the Economist wrote an article, you know, it's a 
pretty well-known paper. So I, I love quoting them because, you know, don't take my word for it. I work for Mazdar City, but take the economist's word. They said, look, Abu Dhabi is actually a real player in AI. The whole world is talking about AI. They said, we've had two large language learning models put out by two Abu Dhabi institutions, uh, both within a few weeks of each other, and the world should come and look at it. And I stood in between those institutions at Mazdar City, which are basically a few hundred meters apart. And I said, oh, this is the science and innovation that's taking place here that the world is starting to notice. And so you've got real focus on sectors now uh, at Master City. Of course, energy is one, uh, you know, moving from you know, the world's largest collection of lead platinum buildings. And for listeners here, not I'm sure most people aren't familiar with specific building rating systems, but this is the U.S. Green Building Council, and it's the world's largest rating system. Uh, and we actually ha now have, to, to my knowledge, I need to you know always make sure I'm very exceptionally precise with what we say, uh, because not everyone publishes. But for every published number, we're the largest amount uh, collection of the highest rated uh, uh, green buildings. So those buildings have to re significantly reduce energy and water consumption. And now moving into net zero buildings. So after a net zero demonstration uh, of, a, uh, of, a, of a villa size, now we've just uh, opened uh, our first commercial building, 5,000 square meters of a net zero R&D and office facility. We've got announced the net zero mosque because the community is so important to what we're doing as well, too, as well as two other uh, net zero, large scale net zero buildings, including one which we just announced the Department of Energy. We'll be moving into uh, one of the net zero buildings. Uh, exciting for us because it really shows the commitment of Abu Dhabi to uh, uh, energy transition to uh, you know to a net zero economy by 2050, which is only 27 years away. It's interesting you you bring that up about the artificial intelligence because I was there for the opening of MBZ UA. I took place at Master City. I was right there for it. So a lot of people. Think it okay? It started with ChatGPT, and then it took off. It was ahead of the curve to that extent. So I'm happy you extrapolated. Well, in the time that I've been at Mazdar City, I would say Abu Dhabi's been ahead of the curve in a few areas. Uh, not only, I mean, ahead of the curve in the whole sustainability agenda. When I came to Mazdar City, you could do any mega project in this region without talking about sustainability. Honestly, we were the very first ones to say, "Wow, in this region, climate change is real." The future is not hydrocarbons. The future is renewable energy and sustainability. And we're going to put a stake in the ground. The amount of people who came out to visit us, you know, because we, we put that stake in the ground and we were doing something very different and, 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 and really groundbreaking, uh, particularly for the region, but globally. Globally, we got uh, global attention for, for saying, oh, we're Abu Dhabi, obviously a hydro, big player in hydrocarbons, but it's going to put this, it's going to put this investment into sustainability. People came up, why in the world would Abu Dhabi do this? You don't need this. You got all the oil you need. Now, looking back, it looks very visionary. It looks prescient. But at the time, you wonder why. Like at the time, you came out and said, why would you do a whole university dedicated to AI? You're right, three or four years before we all started using chat GPT. Uh, and, and, and chat GPT is amazing. And I think it's actually really globally increase the, uh, you know, the, the awareness of it. But three or four years before that, Abu Dhabi said, hey, this is what the future looks like. Let's get involved now. And so I think that the, uh, I've learned to trust the Abu Dhabi leadership with their visions. 
and their vision of what the future looks like and how to position Abu Dhabi for that. And I think they're, you know, like another time been proven right. We're here at COP28 and amid all the conjecture, amid all the anticipation, amid all the policy that's sort of unfolding before our eyes, we as journalists like to try to plan for things that are going to happen and we like to try to prepare our coverage. No matter what, at these conferences, there's always something that's surprising and something we didn't expect and it kind of takes some of the air out of the room, at least temporarily. And I have to say the net zero mosque has been one of those stories. We weren't expecting it. It's grabbed headlines all over the world. Can you talk a little bit about the net zero mosque? Yeah, absolutely. We were anticipating it. But honestly, you're right. The reaction to it has been uh, has been even beyond what uh, what we anticipated. We thought that, great, this is a great story. It's a great local story. It's a great, um, you know, to say, okay, we're not just doing net zero, you know, residences or offices, but a net zero mosque uh, because of uh, the importance that the places of worship play globally to the community. It's a place where people gather. It's a, and it's not only is it a net zero one, it's also a beautiful place. It's a place of, I think, where really uh, tranquility, where peace, where, uh, where worship can take place. Uh, but also done in a way that's, okay, we need to make sure that these buildings too also uh, are contributing environmentally. Because there's always been the Mass Air City, when we say sustainable, we mean sustainable in three ways. Environmentally, of course, but socially as well. And then economically, so that we need to be able to do this building to uh, prices that people can afford to, uh, you know, can afford to live and work and worship. And so thank you for the, uh, the question about that. It's, it's so key to what our mission is. Uh, to make sure that we're sustainable in all areas. And I think that's why it's gotten the uh, you know, the attention that it has. We're approaching the end of COP28, and it remains to be seen as of the recording of this podcast what the final result will be. But uh, you've had a presence here at COP28. What do you think so far about this climate conference? What's been your favorite part? Well, I think my favorite part has been, the, honestly, we're going to let the negotiators do what negotiators do. I, I think it's really important what they're doing. But to me, this has just been so engaging publicly. I mean, look, we're, we're looking out here uh, over at Expo at uh, Wassel Square. Look at the number of people. Look, and this is still, this is in the green zone. Look at the number of school kids behind us. We have had so many school kids. And look, this is what, one of the things I love about being at Mazda City, it's that thousands of children visit us every year. I love walking outside of my office and having a group of kids run by on a scavenger hunt. Uh, I love the noise and energy uh, that, that, that that brings to, to Mazda City. And I love that it's bringing it here to COP. I've been to one previous COP. I know people have been to many. This is the first time, I believe, that the green zone and blue zone have been so interlinked. And so you've had, you know, significant players. I was in the business and philanthropy forum, which is in the green zone. And then you had people like John Kerry, people like Bill Gates coming over to the green zone to speak. So we're engaging not just with the diplomats, not just with the with the country uh, representatives, but we're engaging with the with the public. We're engaging with the business community. I think we're really bringing people together. And to me, that's what's been to me to me the highlight of this cop for me. So a lot is made about transportation at Mass Star City. What does transportation mobility look like in a zero carbon, zero waste city? Well, I mean, I think the important thing globally is to, is to remember that okay, transportation accounts for about 20% of our carbon emissions. Uh, and so if we're going to get serious about getting to net zero, we have to get serious about uh, transportation. But the other reason why transportation is so important in an urban environment, especially, is that it impacts the quality of your life. 
it, it significantly impacts the quality of life. So while most people would say, I love I love driving, I love it, it's a great experience, um, no one says I love my commute. It's true. And, and I think at, at times, you know, if you would have gone back 120 years or 130 years, people said, I love riding horses. But no one has said, I really like having to take my horse into town and, and you know. And so we want to provide both a, for Master City, uh, a carbon-free uh, transportation system, at least at the emission, at the, at the tailpipe level, uh, with electric vehicles. But also, I think for a lot of people, their first experience in Master City is riding the PRT. So the driverless uh, pod cars that take people around around the heart of the city from the parking lot, bring them out to the bring them out to the university. And I think for a lot of people, that's kind of their their first experience. And I don't have a lasting memory of what Master City is. We've come a long way in the time since we started Master City in terms of both the technology, but also in terms of the adaptation of electric vehicles. When we started Master City, we were the very first people to have EVs in the country. And we didn't bring them in, and they weren't brought in commercially through a dealership. There was not a single dealer selling a single electric vehicle when Master City was founded. So we had a, a partnership with Mitsubishi. And they brought over the cars and they wanted to test them in this region. And, when, and like many people who bring in technology say, yeah, we want to test at Master City. We want to use this Master City platform. And at that time, that generation of vehicles was honestly really not ready for this heat. That heat, both heat and cold are difficult for batteries. They're difficult for batteries. I mean, think if you've got people who are living here from either very, you know, Scandinavia and Northern Canada, it's very common to have to plug in your car battery in, in, into an outlet just to keep the battery warm so it starts in the morning. Uh, heat is also difficult for battery, though. Think of the time you've left your cell phone in the car uh, at, uh, you know, and, and then gone to the store and, and in the summer and you come back and you touch your phone. And what, is it, what does the cell phone often say? Don't turn on right now. The battery is too hot for you to operate this cell phone. It, and so the extremes are difficult. And we obviously have some pretty extreme summers here. Now the industry is adaptive. We're, count, we're kind of in uh, two generations later. So significant, uh, uh, significant better performance, significant increased range in EVs, uh, significantly better pricing. But now look at the number of OEMs. Now we can go into any showroom. You can buy a Tesla. You can buy a Mercedes. You can buy a Porsche. But you can also buy some very reasonably priced uh, options such as Volkswagen, BYD, the world's largest uh, company, a Chinese company, is just coming into the UAE uh, with their electric vehicles. And so the, you've got charging options. And a couple of things that I would talk, I would talk about in terms of infrastructure uh, with Adnoc, which just has opened the first EV charging station. Uh, it's a full, no petrol, no diesel, only EV charging, and that's at Master City. Uh, so very excited about that, but also a hydrogen project uh, because uh, so the, the hydrogen is uh, actually being done with an electrolyzer. So you take water and you split it into oxygen and hydrogen. The oxygen goes back into the air, which thank you, that's what we breathe, and the hydrogen is used to fuel vehicles. And this has a lot of uh, potential, particularly for some long-haul vehicles, shipping, uh, air transportation, uh, but also for surface transportation as well, too, as an alternative to EVs, because uh, uh, we're going to need multiple times of technology to, uh, to get to zero. You're also currently constructing other net zero buildings in addition to the one you have at Mostar City. Where are you in that process, and uh, what, when might we see another opening of a net zero building there? 
Well, we just announced the uh, the Department of Energy coming to the next net zero building that we'll finish uh, by the end of 2024. Uh, you'll see the next 10,000 square meter building, headquarters building, beautiful building as part of the uh, Mazdar City Squared uh, complex. Uh, and it's, you know, MC squared. Uh, so it, what E equals MC squared. Yes, it is a play on words. Yes, we're, yes, we're excited about that. But that's also why uh, having the Department of Energy there in this, in this uh, 10,000 square meter uh, net zero building is exciting for us. And then the next one will come after that one, will come within a couple of months of that one, will be a co-working, co-living. And this is a concept that's been done in uh, in some you know high-tech places around the world that where real estate's pretty expensive, where you have basically uh, almost a you know a short stay or long stay hotel place where people can come in, but all, where the office is downstairs, uh, their apartment's upstairs, so live, work, a lot of community facilities and communal areas to make that more attractive for entrepreneurs. So that will also be done. And uh, we've got a few in the pipeline that uh, haven't been announced yet. But I think what, you, what you're seeing in the Mazdaer City trend is, okay, here's how we significantly reduce energy consumption. And now here's how we, you know, the deficiency of, e, of PV uh, and the Price reduction has enabled us to be able to put more PV in, in smaller spaces. And now we're able to say, okay, we're, we're going to move to our net, you know, pathway to net zero. Soon all of our buildings will be net zero. With COP28 being a pivotal moment for global and regional climate action, how does Mastar City align its strategy with the broader sustainability goals discussed at COP28? Well, I think we're truly aligned with the, uh, with the Abu Dhabi and the UAE initiative, the UAE goals of, uh, I think, for the rest of the world, we show a pathway. And I think what a lot of people have come out here to say, there's a lot of talk about how you know, mitigation or adaptation. Do we mitigate climate or do we adapt to it? Well, we think you do both. Because if you would ask an architect 300 years ago, do you use architecture to adapt to your environment or do you mitigate? And I think once we have air conditioning, the whole world's gone to mitigation. Oh, we have air conditioning, we have heat. We don't need to adapt. We mitigate. We just pump in more air conditioning. And Master City said the first thing we do is adapt. We build master plans and buildings that are appropriate for the uh, climate that we're in. And, and that would mean you wouldn't do the same sort of thing in Copenhagen or you know, in Finland. You'd say, but you would take the same thought process. You'd say, what is the climate we're in? How do we create communities that adapt to that climate, whatever the climate is, and use the least amount of energy possible, and then use the renewable energy that makes sense. So for us, it's solar. We don't have wind. You know why we don't have wind? Because we don't have wind. That's a, it's very simple. We don't we we don't do um we don't do heat sinks because it, the technology doesn't work here. Heat sinks are uh, an amazing uh, renewable energy source that work in temperate climates. Wind works where you have wind blowing. So then you adapt the renewable energy to the places to, to the climate you're in, but your whole thought process is how do I use architecture to adapt and then, re and then the appropriate renewable energy uh, layers on top of that demand reduction? Because we think that every electron you don't use is more sustainable than one that comes from renewable energy. We think every trip that you walk to or bike to is more sustainable than a trip you take in an electric vehicle. So we try and use that so there's a city in, uh, in Yemen, Shabam. As soon as Yemen is safe enough, I will, be on the, I will be the first visitor there. But they call it Manhattan of the desert. 
It's in a plane. It's a square. It's very walkable. And much like uh, more relatable probably is Southern Italy. A lot of people listening to us will have visited Southern Italy and you'll see, oh, this is, these are very walkable communities. There's a gelato store on every, every 30 meters. Uh, the walls are thick. The windows are small. Uh, and they say, oh, we, we did this all this to adapt to our environment and to make it, make it as comfortable for people living here before there was air conditioning. And we've gone back to that philosophy of the architecture should reflect where we are and should be used to reduce your consumption. And that's the path globally. Uh, for the UAE, more specifically, look, as the UAE puts in more carbon-free energy, uh, that just helps us out. That's, that's, that's great for everybody. So if you particularly people ask, what about old buildings? What about, what about the built environment that's already there? And it's a particularly, look, even, even in a country like this, you have a significant supply of buildings. And so you'd say, okay, what makes the most economic sense? As the grid gets cleaner, as we're using more and more renewable on the grid, and then you say, what, what makes sense? The first thing that makes sense is maintenance. Clean, cleaning your air filters is the absolute best way to reduce your, your air conditioning bill. But then you can do things, oh, LED lighting. Uh, do I look at the windows and see, sealing the windows? Do I need to change the windows from single pane to double pane? Uh, these, are, these are investments in older buildings. So at the same time, you're reducing demand. As you're increasing the, as you're increasing the supply of zero carbon energy, until you get to a zero carbon, zero carbon for the whole country. Master of Cities initiatives aim to support the UAE's net zero 2050 strategic initiative. That calls for $163 billion to be invested in clean and renewable energy sources over the next three decades. Where are we right now in that plan? If you can extrapolate on that a little bit. Uh, look, I will, I will mention a couple of things, um, particularly, uh, especially because the very first scale uh, renewable project in the UAE was in, was in Master City, and it's 10 megawatts. Now, 10 megawatts in 2009 was the largest installation uh, in, in, the re in the region, in the MENA region. That's a, that's a pretty big area. But it was also about the size that people were doing in other parts of the world, too. 10 megawatts, because it wasn't economic. Solar power was expensive then. And I think this is it. If, if people listening to us could take away one thing about energy, Abu Dhabi just inaugurated Al Dafra. It's uh, what Mazda, our my clean energy friends, and uh, are, are calling 200x. So 200 times the output of that 10 megawatt, 14 years later. But the price is really what's, what's the craziest part. It's 1.32 cents. So everybody bought if per kilowatt hour. Everybody buys electricity in kilowatts. You get a bill that says, oh, you use this much electricity. It costs this much per kilowatt hour. Here's your total bill. That's no matter where you are in the world, that, that's, that's what your bill looks like. So people are not aware, but renewable energy, solar particularly, but also wind is the cheapest energy on earth. We're not going to, it's not going to cost more. And this, this has been a complete, absolute change since I started. When I came to Mastar City, renewable energy was the most expensive energy on Earth. Now it's the cheapest. That's been an unbelievable breakthrough. And that's the place where Mazdar and Abu Dhabi have been leading the world. World record pricing has been set in Dubai. World record pricing has been set in Abu Dhabi. By the way, we don't always get world record pricing. Sometimes Portugal comes along with a great project and a great price. Sometimes Chile comes along with a great project and a great price. And we think this is fantastic. Because if, you, if you're listening to us and you think that, you know, Mazda or Abu Dhabi can be the 
only renewable energy developer globally. Uh, no, we need everybody. Every country needs to be a sustainability country. Every company needs to be a sustainability company. This, this, this goal to get to net zero is difficult. It's very difficult. And we need the whole world to come together in this. And I think that's what events like COP can do. It really, it draws attention. It brings the negotiators, of course, and they have to make commitments and they have to understand what their countries can commit to and they need to do that. But also it brings the world's attention to uh, the personal choices that we're making and the choices of the companies that we're working for are making and how we can contribute to a more sustainable future. Do you think net zero by 2050 is an achievable goal? I mean, you've seen things, you've seen technologies come and go, you've seen goals presumably come and go in the past, not in the UAE, but globally. Uh, what are your thoughts on the 2050? It's hard. It's hard. Look, let's talk about the UAE first and we can talk about the rest of the world. I've seen also the UAE make such significant strides in the 14 years that I've been here. I've seen so much renewable energy going in. I've seen a whole mindset shift around sustainability and particularly in the business community where sustainability has gone from, okay, this is a, this is a cost to no, this is a business opportunity. And I think you've seen also seen a, a mindset shift in the region of now you can't do a mega project without jumping up and down and seeing how sustainable we are. Oh, I mean, every project, mega project, including the, the site that we're at, Expo, has talked about, oh, these are our, this is why our project is sustainable. These are our steps towards sustainability. Now, I think that needs to translate down into some of the medium and small projects, that that's not universal yet, uh, but I think that will be coming. That's, that's absolutely on the way. And, and as far as we've gone, we still have farther to go. But I, I firmly believe that with the leadership, you know, this is also a country that is, um, believes in its leadership. And, and, and when, they, when they make a commitment, when they put the goal out there, people get behind it. And they've made that goal. They've made that commitment. They've reinforced that goal. So, yes, globally, we still have some work to do. Technology, we touched on it a little bit, plays a crucial role in sustainable development. And we talked a little bit about MBZ UAI, but there's a lot of back and forth right now about whether or not artificial intelligence is going to you know, ratchet up our efforts to, for a sustainable future, whether or not it's going to make the, come up with climate solutions faster. Is that something that Mastar City is going to be looking into applying AI in ways that can help in this climate fight? AI is, uh, I'm going to make it a little larger and just say data and, 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 and say data and say data analytics, some of which will be AI, some of which be more algorithms developed by humans. Um, and so right, right now, I mean, I think we're, we've been using AI in transportation, so in autonomous transportation for years, that if you have a computer on board that's making decisions for you, to me, that's AI. Uh, if we're looking at data around our buildings, so the one thing we're using data for in the buildings is, um, you know, electric, uh, you know, energy consumption. And so, if you look at a building and say, "Oh, well, most of the floors, the electricity is going down," you know, uh, air conditioning is going down at seven o'clock. People have left the building; it, it goes down. Oh, here's an area where it's not. Okay, is that because there's a you know data center in there, or is that because people are working the night shift, or is that because uh, there's a faulty switch and we need to, there's a, there's a faulty switch that's, oh, it's just leaving it on even, even though it doesn't need to be. Or is this a human behavior thing where people aren't turning that off? Once you have the data, you can go and analyze that and say, okay, how do we, how do we optimize the building consumption in a way that you don't when you just look at a monthly electricity bill and say, oh, 
monthly electricity bill. It's hard to do something with that. But with granular data, you can then start making decisions to, to reduce the, the consumption. Now, more and more, I think you'll see really AI applied to that, um, that it'll be able to analyze, okay, now it's been looking at 50 buildings over, over, over two years. Oh, this particular event looks like it's a faulty, looks like it's faulty equipment. This particular pattern looks like it's human behavior. And so that will help solve those things for us. We're not quite there yet. We're still in the, I think, early data analytics phase where uh, data and, and is helping us to identify issues, but it's not yet solving them for us. And I think that will be the next phase. With climate change presenting challenges, how does Mustar City ensure resilience and adaptability in its growth plans? And I think this is where we've really looked at and said we've become more adaptable We've ensured more resilience. One of the areas in transportation. Originally, we had planned on you know one form of transportation for the entire city. Well, that form of transportation uh, was at the time we looked at it was absolutely the most advanced in the world. But technology has changed. Technology has changed in a way that surprised me, caught me off guard. How quickly the autonomous revolution came on. Now that last little bit of it has proven also a little more difficult than. Uh, than many of us would have thought too, but the speed which that changed. Uh, so we've, we've shifted to become much, much more multimodal. So instead of one form of uh, clean transportation, autonomous transportation, we're now having multiple forms. By the way, including a, a pretty simple technology that didn't exist uh, when we started Master City either, which is scooters. Yeah, they're all over. They're they're all over. I I I bought one myself. I I don't rent. I buy I bought I like I like it so much. I own one of those. But Master City is about you know more, the bulk of it, it. We're about six square kilometers. It is a very scooter sized city, and as long as you manage that correctly, which really means having bike lanes and things, because that's where they fit best. Not on the sidewalks, not on the roads, but through bike lanes. So whether people bike or scooter or walk or jog. There's a lot of micromobility uh, aspects to Master City that we think make a lot of sense that weren't really available when, when we originally uh, envisioned this. So we have become more adaptive to technology changes, uh, but our entire philosophy is about how do we use architecture and buildings to reduce the impact of the already hot climate that we're in. So I think we'll just be uh, you know, ahead of the curve as, as everyone's starting to think about how do we adapt to this climate that we're in. You made the point multiple times, but I think it's safe to say that Mustar City was ahead of its time before all these environmental issues became, you know, on the tip of every tongue. How does Mustar City maintain that freshness and maintain that global leadership role as, without a doubt, you're going to see imitators, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. By the way, it's a good thing. And, and we... If we didn't see imitators, I think that would be a, a bad sign. Pe people often come and ask, well, what about Project X or Project Y? They're also doing something in sustainability. I'm like, please, please. If Mazar City was the only sustainable development in this region or globally, we'll never get to net zero by 2050. We need every project to be coming along. By the way, almost so hundreds of hundreds of diplomats visitors each year, thousands of students, multiple universities, uh, and then all the mega projects that that, we, that you would know about. We talk about come to see us and talk, including a lot of we've had some great communication and discussions with Expo here. 
uh, and and sharing sharing that knowledge. We're part of the World Being Green Building Council, so we also have learned from others. We didn't sit on one piece of paper and say we're so brilliant. We can do ever. We can do. We're we're going to come up with ideas no one's ever heard of. A lot of the things we we do bring back the the ancient techniques. Uh, how did people used to build cities in? You know, it's been hot here for a while. It's been out here for a while. My mother handed me a book a couple of years ago, and it's the story of my great, 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 great grandfather. And he went overland between India and London, was going back to the UK or England at the time to uh, as a diplomat and was going back there as time had ended. And he took several months and, and went overland. And he wrote about being in Muscat in the summer. And he basically said, it is so hot here. I can't believe anyone lives here. The lo- no one goes outdoors except, except at very late at night. It's uninhabitable by humans. How do they do this? That was written in 1879. So it's been hot for, it's been hot for a while here. Uh, and even if you look at you know, uh, the way they used to build things, it, was an, it adapted to it. So we encourage people to come along with that. But I think that's, that's the main, uh, that's been our impact. Is other, that so many others have said, we want to be like Manchester City. And how do we keep staying in the forefront? By going from reducing consumption and showcasing those buildings, using that to going to net zero and really saying, okay, here we are now at a point where we can achieve widespread, wide scale net zero. So from being the world's largest collection of lead platinum buildings to be the world's largest collection of net zero buildings, uh, which will be, I think, our next step. Steve Severance, Director of Growth at Master City, thanks so much for joining us with your busy cop schedule. Uh, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. That's a wrap for this episode of our Climate Edition series of Business X recorded at COP28 in Dubai. Please make sure to check out all the other episodes and conversations that we brought to you from the Climate Summit, where we explored the intersection of sustainability, climate change, and business. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Doa Farid, Phil Green, and Arthur Edison. I'm Cody Combs reporting from COP28 in Dubai.